0: Formula One legend Lewis Hamilton has lost a race with reality against the statue of a dude who's been dead for 300 years. Yes. Who needs fiction when you've got reality like this? I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. You can enquire at the website about that. Lewis Hamilton is, by any measure, a driving legend. He's blessed with incredible skill and on the cusp of F1 immortality in the manner of a senna or a fangio. Hashtag Respect. As a driver, Lewis Hamilton is awesome, and I would love to hear him talk us all through a lap of Brand's Hatch or the Nurburgring. But to be perfectly frank, I don't actually give a shit what he thinks about anything else. Celebrities often disappoint when they comment outside their specialty. Nobody wants to hear, for example, Kim Kardashian's ass tell us what it thinks about relativistic mass. Stick with me here, okay, because I have to pivot and move laterally on the chessboard at this point. Tensions are self-evidently high around the world right now following the brutal and wholly unjust death of George Floyd in America. Some would call this a murder, and frankly, I would be among them. Ordinary people across the Western world increasingly feel both disempowered and betrayed by a system which seems happy to benefit only the rich. And it's been a complete... complete cock of a year. Let's not forget. On my world, lives of every colour matter. They matter equally, and there needs to be an unequivocally level playing field on this, and pretty clearly there currently is not. I understand, therefore, why an angry mob would vandalise the statue of a dude who's, at best, an historical footnote in Bristol, up there and around a bit in the United Kingdom. They ripped it down after 125 years erect. Very few of us could claim that. And they threw it in the harbour ignominiously. Just the other day, you probably saw this on the news. So take that, Edward Colston, you bastard. You croaked at the age of 84 roughly 300 years ago in 1721, and your effigy has been hurled to the bottom of the Avon River. Although the council did soon thereafter resurrect you, not unlike Jesus. Mr. Colston was a Tory MP, a merchant and a philanthropist who built local schools and hospitals and established charitable foundations in and around Bristol and London, many of which survive to this day. Institutions and buildings bear Mr. Colston's name. You can even chow down on a nice, fruity Colston bun in Bristol, if you're lucky enough. So I suppose that's quite nice. All this is true, and a matter of historical fact, so why was the crowd so self-evidently pissed? Mr Colston was a senior executive in a company established by King Charles II, the Royal African Company, which traded gold, silver, ivory, and... (sighs) At this point, you'd best remove the rose-coloured tint of retrospectivity, because... It also traded slaves, disgracefully. Legally and under the seal of the crown, but disgracefully nonetheless. 84,000 slaves, you know, men, women and children whose lives, let's not forget, mattered just as much to them as yours does to you and mine certainly does to me. Stolen and sent to the Americas to work mainly on tobacco and cotton fields. 19,000 of these people did not even make it. They died in transit. Seafaring was a much more high-risk endeavour back then, clearly. Except, of course, on the Ruby Princess. It's easy to see why an angry mob in 2020, incensed over current relatable brutality, would view the Colston statue as... Something of a target, or perhaps a monument to ongoing evil, certainly emblematic of a current problem and perhaps worthy of crowdsourced retribution. A symbolic act, you know, perhaps it'll make the policymakers stand up and listen. Maybe it made marginalised protesters feel somewhat better. At least nobody got hurt, and that's a plus in these circumstances, I think you'd agree. A statement was made, certainly, and a dude who croaked 300 years ago is kind of unlikely to complain too vociferously. Although, I'm certain if he did, we would all listen quite intently. And then, of course, predictably enough... Lewis Hamilton chimed in when, in my view, he should have just shut his trap and concentrated instead on being the champion driver, which he is. That man's statue should stay in the river, just like the 20,000 African souls who died on the journey here and thrown into the sea with no burial or memorial. He stole them from their families, country, and he must not be celebrated it should be replaced with a memorial for all those he sold, all those that lost their lives. Minor point of order, it's who lost their lives. Who, just saying. Clearly, though, slavery and racism are an indelible scar on the human spirit and we need to eradicate them from the future. And here, I'm not talking about PC bullshit, you know, snowflakes with their feelings all hurt. I'm talking about eliminating future crimes against humanity. To me, that's what's important. And dudes like Lewis Hamilton simply are not that well-equipped intellectually to help in this endeavour, in my view. I challenge government officials worldwide to make these changes and implement the peaceful removal of these racist symbols. These racist symbols, indeed with close ties to slavery. Hear, hear. Mr Hamilton seems to be challenging lawmakers peacefully to remove racist symbols indelibly linked to slavery. This seems unequivocal. And yet, also a poor idea to lob such a heavy stone, no matter how well intended, when one's arse resides in such an emphatically glass house. If you cannot see the problem with this, you really need to keep watching. Mr. Hamilton reportedly earns roughly 50 million pounds sterling annually. That's a hefty sum. About 90 million Schittsvillian micropesos. Much of his considerable wealth derives from contracts he has had, or currently has, with Mercedes-Benz and Hugo Boss. If you do a Google search in the images domain of Lewis Hamilton, it's actually quite hard to find images where he is not emblazoned with the coveted three-pronged suppository. That's how he rolls. They're joined at the head, typically. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if it is fair to stick the boot into Edward Colston and men of his ilk in the sincere hope of making the world a better place, to advocate strenuously using the full gravitational pull of the A-list influencer for the peaceful removal of racist symbols linked indelibly to slavery. If that's reasonable, is it not the next logical step to identify existing contemporary symbols worthy of our disdain and advocate for their peaceful removal too? I suggest we give the pyramids in Egypt a bit of a pass, owing to the passage of time there. But a couple of far more recent slavery-linked contenders come instantly to mind. Mercedes-Benz and Hugo Boss. Coincidentally, enough. In my view, every celebrity on Earth should employ a well-read person specifically to filter out Every absurd public comment that they intend to make. An editor of sorts to save them from themselves. A no-man to balance out all of those limpet-like yes-men, typically in the entourage. Mercedes-Benz is on the record admitting as far back as 1986 that it used as many as 40,000 slave labourers during World War II. These people worked in atrocious conditions, and Daimler, which owns Mercedes, got rich. Mercedes even built Hitler's personal car, let's not forget. To be balanced on this, okay, the company, which later became Audi, behaved in a similar way, as did Volkswagen, BMW, and Bosch. This was not German industry's finest hour on human rights, pretty clearly. But it is a matter of historical fact about which there is no credible debate, and I did not open this door. Lewis Hamilton did. I'm just following Mr. Hamilton down this hallway of peaceful slave symbol removal. To be perfectly fair to Mercedes-Benz on this, the company has policies in place today to eradicate slavery and human trafficking from its supply chain. They implemented these to comply with the UK Modern Slavery Act of 2015. It's less of a contrition thing and more of a corporate compliance issue if you want to do business in the UK and you are a sufficiently large company. Mercedes-Benz's World War II slaves included prisoners of war, abducted civilians and concentration camp detainees. There are chilling historical reports that in 1945, when it seemed losing the war was kind of inevitable, the company attempted to have its slave labor workforce rounded up and gassed to prevent them from becoming witnesses for the inevitable prosecutions. I'm not kidding. I wish I were, but I'm not. A high-level Nazi, okay, named Adolf Eichmann, who, despite being more or less a quintessentially banal bean-counter bureaucrat type, who was more or less instrumental in the Holocaust, used the German Catholic Church to escape to Argentina after the war ended, and there he was appointed as a senior executive inside, you guessed it, a Mercedes-Benz factory. So that was kind of looking good for him until the Mossad, which is an agency that I would never cross, given the choice, until the Mossad confronted him with a certain vengeful gleam in their eye. He was drugged and renditioned to Israel where he was tried inside a bulletproof glass box over the course of 56 days and then convicted and hanged after a series of unsuccessful appeals for his war crimes, his crimes against humanity and sundry other atrocious offences of that nature. He claimed, of course, that he was just following orders. oops daisy That was in 1962, the year before I was born. And her Eichmann's story basically kind of made a mockery of 17 years of Daimler's post-war bleating and denial about how the company never really supported the Nazis and never used slave labour and was never really on board vis-a-vis the Holocaust. These are historical facts, okay? Easily verifiable, and you do not have to like them. The three-pronged suppository is a symbol indelibly linked to slavery. To dispute this would be to deny the facts. And I stress, this is not a door I opened, but I am kind of happy to walk through it. Hugo Boss now. It wasn't until 2011, if memory serves, which is almost one human lifetime after the war ended, that another key Lewis Hamilton sponsor, Hugo Boss, downplayed and apologised for its treatment of slaves who produced Nazi uniforms during World War II. In particular, uniforms for the SS, which were very Marilyn Manson. I think you'd agree. There is some debate about this. (laughs) Not the stylishness of the SS uniforms, because they were quite stylish, but about the size of the Hugo Boss slave workforce, the enthusiasm of the company to support the Nazis, etc. However, it seems pretty clear that Hugo Boss himself, the dude, not the brand, joined the Nazi Party in 1931. His member number 50889, if you're interested in looking him up. He appears to have been a sponsoring member of the SS as well. He joined all the related extreme socialism boy bands and reportedly cherished a photograph taken of him with Hitler at one of the Fuhrer's holiday homes. Mr Boss died in 1948. Hugo Boss the brand survived, obviously, and withdrew from F1 sponsorship in 2018. Mercedes-Benz and Hugo Boss seem to have sidestepped a lot of recent slavery-related backlash. Let's not forget HBO Max recently pulled the movie classic Gone with the Wind due to its fictional portrayal of slavery. Quentin Tarantino is kind of under ongoing fire for his use of the N-word in his productions and John Cleese's hilarious... Don't Mention the War episode of Faulty Towers was, of course, yanked by the BBC. These are, of course, works of fiction, and yet tolerance of them is so low. Fiction has become intolerable, seemingly, but organisations such as Hugo Boss and Mercedes-Benz with tangible links to actual slavery... They seem to get a pass. So riddle me that. How exactly does this work? Because I'm not seeing it. What is the secret source to evading scrutiny on human rights violations of such a profound and comparatively recent nature? If I ruled the world, (laughs) and I do have these plans... I would ask Mr Hamilton how committed he really is to his proposed peaceful removal of these enduring quote-unquote racist symbols indelibly linked to slavery. I'd like to know how he feels about all the wealth he's amassed off the back of companies such as this and how his recent public statements might not be construed, therefore, as being starkly at odds with his conduct and his bank balance. As I see it, Lewis Hamilton's power and popularity derives directly from his association with businesses roughly as grubby on the slavery front as the Royal Africa Company from three centuries ago. How can Lewis Hamilton be properly critical of one and not the others? If Mr. Hamilton is so openly enthusiastic about the removal of a monument to a virtual nobody in the slave game from 300 years ago, how does he resolve his relationship with the brands that made him so rich and their clear links to the same disgraceful line of business just 80 years back? And Why is nobody in the media taking him to task about this. Finally, I'll leave you with this. If I were a corporate sponsorship manager, which is a fair old number of rungs down from ruling the world, but anyway, if I were such a person, I would include a not to bring the brand into disrepute termination clause in any friggin' contract I waved under some sponsor type person's nose. If I were managing such things for Mercedes-Benz, I would make a laundry list of topics which were off-limits for public comment among those who find themselves fortunately on this sponsorship gravy train with their snout in the trough. Slavery would certainly be on the no-fly list, as would the Holocaust, the Final Solution, extreme socialism, Hitler, and basically all issues that fall under this general rubric. It does seem only prudent. And I'd suggest that while black lives certainly do matter, slavery is abhorrent, even if the slaves in question were not predominantly black.